Well, good morning, everybody. I hope that you are doing well, and we're in the midst of our year-long series called Quest, where we are exploring God's story together. I want to put up on the screen uh, kind of a roadmap of what we've been doing, and in the month of Genesis, we're talking about uh, promise. The Old Testament word for that is covenant. We're talking about the promises of God that are available and revealed to us in the ancient stories of Adam and Eve and Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And um, if you're anything like me, you've heard a lot of sermons. And I've forgotten a lot of sermons. I've even forgotten a lot of sermons I've preached because I know this happens because every once in a while someone comes up to me and said, I loved it when you preached that sermon on blank and I am racking my brains and I cannot remember ever preaching that particular sermon. I mean, admit it, you have forgotten a lot of sermons, right? You've heard a lot of messages in and through church and they didn't stick with you, right? Yeah, okay. You're willing to admit that. I'm the preacher, you're the congregation, and it's just true. And, but there's one sermon that I have never forgotten, and it was decades and decades ago, and it was a pastor who, instead of preaching a regular sermon, told the story of the cross, but told it from the perspective of the Roman centurion who watched Jesus die. And the whole sermon was a first-person narrative, or what they might call a character sermon, retelling the story. And it's funny because every once in a while when I'm reading the Gospels and I, and I see the soldier and I you know, read the story about the cross, I remember that sermon even though it was decades ago. I've never had the chutzpah to do that until today. I am going to tell you the story of Jacob, but I'm going to tell it in the first person as if I was Jacob. If somebody comes into church late today, if somebody tunes in online late today, they're going to be really confused. They're going to think Rich has lost his marbles, which may be true, but that's the point of a sermon. Are you interested in hearing Jacob's story? All right, can we give a peach tree welcome to Jacob from the Old Testament? Thank you, thank you, thank you. My, my good friend and your pastor, he, he, he means well, but his Hebrew is a little rusty. He calls me Jacob, but the way that you would pronounce that in Hebrew would be Yaakov. Say Yaakov. Yaakov means trickster. It means someone who pulls the wool over your eyes. It means someone that dupes you. You know those those stories when, you know, when you're a kid and and in your family, they tell those stories over and over and over again, and no matter how many times they they tell them, they just keep getting bigger and bigger and better and better over time. Well, I'll tell you the story that my mother would tell when we were by the campfire at night. It was the story of my birth. Or you see, you guys don't have a full appreciation of the surprise of this. You have things like sonograms and nothing is a surprise for you. You have gender reveal parties. Someone is going to have to explain that to me. And, and you do all these strange things. But when you gave birth in the ancient world, it was number one, dangerous. And number two, it was the kind of thing where you didn't know what was going to happen. And so on the day of my birth, there were not just one of us in the womb, but there were two of us. 
And my brother Esau came out first, and they're like, it's a boy. And he's like hairy and red-haired, and he's large. And then, as mom would tell it, as they pulled Esau out, I am clutching onto Esau's heel, coming out with a big smile on my face, saying, don't leave me behind. And they would tell that story over and over again, and it was important. Because back in my day and age, who was born first, that's who got all the goods. The one that was born first was the one that was important. I don't think I can tell my story without talking about my older brother, Esau. You know, I was the kind of kid that liked to hang around the camp site, and, you know, I was kind of a mama's boy, but Esau is like a wild game hunter, and big old bushy beard and red hair everywhere on his arms and all over the place, and he was, he was a great hunter, but he was not the smartest and brightest in our family. In other words, in your day and age, he would never have gone to college if it wouldn't have been for a football scholarship. <laughs> and so one day, Esau's coming back from, you know, the open fields, and he's been successful at hunting, and he's like, I'm completely famished, and I'm over the open campfire, and I'm making some stew. And and he's like, give me some of that stew. I am so hungry, I'm going to die. And I'm like, yeah, you, I'll give you some of the stew, but you, you have to give me your birthright. And Esau, the idiot that he is, <laughs> doesn't think that oaths are important. And he says, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die of hunger? Sure, I'll give you my birthright. And he takes the stew and he eats it. That was a good day at the office for me. And then I also can't tell my story without talking about my dad. My dad's name is Isaac, which means laughter, which is ironic because he's the only guy I know that doesn't have a sense of humor. You see, Isaac, as he started to get older, his, his eyes started to fail, and he didn't know if the rest of his health was going to fail. And at this point, the, you know, Esau and I are fully grown men, and... Um, and, and Isaac says to Esau, look, why don't you go get me some of that food that we all love. Go do some hunting. Come back. Prepare it the way just that I like it. And then when you do that, I'm going to give you my blessing. And so Esau goes running out, and my mom and I come up with an idea. And the idea that we cook up is that mom's going to work on the food, and I'm going to work on my costume. And we literally take goat's hair, and we put it on my arms, and and we make me smell all dirty like Esau does. And, and I go into my father's tent, and I'm bringing, you know, some of that, some of that food that he loves, and, and I lower my voice a few octaves, and I pretend to be my brother. And even though my dad is a little skeptical, after he feels the goat hair on my arms, he lays his hand on my head, and he blesses me. I wrote down what he said. I want to, I want to share with you. He, he, he said it like this, because I, I put this in my journal. May God give you heaven's dew and the earth's richness an abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. 
My whole life, I had wanted my father to bless me. My mother actually, it took a long time for her to get pregnant. She had actually prayed for us to be born. And God told her that it would be the younger, not the older, that would get the blessing. She had even shared that with Isaac, and he didn't believe it. He wanted to follow the culture instead of following the will of God. And so he always wanted to bless Esau, but there it happened. He blessed me. Well, Esau came back from the fields, and as you can imagine, he comes back with his kill. He prepares the food just the way he likes it. He runs into my father's tent, and he's like, Father, here I am. Time for you to give me the blessing. And Isaac said some things that you can't say in church. And I'll never forget the bitter cry of my brother as he was weeping and yelling, Father, bless me too, Dad. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't go back on the words that he had already said. And then somebody overhears my brother saying, the time of grief for my father is soon, and after that, I will kill my brother Jacob. So it's time for me to exit stage left. I take some supplies, and I set out on a long journey, hundreds and hundreds of miles by foot, to a place called Haran. And you know, after a little while, I realized I had never truly been alone before. And it was dark, and it was cold, and I was scared. And I laid down, I put a rock under my head, and I remember the canopy of the stars shining bright above me, and I fell fast asleep, and there I had a dream. But it wasn't just any dream. It wasn't just, just processing thoughts. It was like it was a vision, and the skies above me that night opened, and there, were, there was this, this staircase, this ladder going up into heaven, and there were angels that were dancing and ascending and descending on it. And I truly heard the voice of God reiterate the promise that we had been told that had been given to my grandfather Abraham and to my father Isaac about land and offspring. And then he said, but I am with you and will keep you. And I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done that which I have promised you. Man, my whole life I've been chasing the blessing. And I stole it from my father, and now I had gotten it from God. I woke up and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And so what I did was I built an altar, which, you know, in our time and day and age, I mean, your, your worship services are really weird. They're like, you know, like a, it's like a Coldplay concert with a TED Talk stuck in the middle of it, whatever that is. But in the ancient world, when we worshiped, it was physical, and you did things. And so we, like, we built this little altar of, I built this altar of stones, and then I poured oil over the top of it. And I named that place. I marked it with oil. And I knew that one day I'd be back. 
And I prayed, but I'm embarrassed to say now that I look back on it, the way that I prayed, it was all about me. It was like, God, if you're going to do these things, then I'll do my things. It was kind of a tit-for-tat bargain. And then I started again on my long journey. Weeks upon weeks of walking every day. Hot, tired, hungry, completely dependent on the hospitality of strangers. And then I get to this place called Haran, and you might be wondering, where are you going? Well, where I was going was uh, to a place where my mother said that her brother was living. Uh, You guys have a famous song that's really popular right now that's like, we don't talk about Bruno. Back in my day and age, it was, we don't talk about Laban. And... uh, And so I went to go see Uncle Laban, and when I got in the area, there was this well, and there was some livestock there, and there were some shepherds there, and then there was this woman. And she was the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. And I knew in that moment, I will do anything to marry that woman. Well, turns out, that it was one of Laban's daughters. And I know they still do this in some parts of the Southeast, but that, back in that day and age, that was no big deal. Didn't matter that she was a relative. And so I start to work hard for Laban, and I ask for his daughter's hand in marriage. And he says, yes, you can marry Rachel, but you're going to have to work seven years for her. Now, you need to know by custom, it would have been three years. And so this was double the amount of time that anybody would normally have to work for somebody. And then another year added on to it. But I got to tell you, this woman was so amazing and I was so in love. Those seven years went like that. And so it's the night of the wedding. We have this great party. You guys don't have an appreciation with your LED lights and those kinds of things of how dark it gets at night. So we have this wedding, the woman is veiled, we get married, there's a big ruckus party, there's dancing, there's celebrating, there's eating, there's plenty of drinking, and I might have been overserved, and I go to my tent that night, and I go to my tent to make love to my wife, and I roll over in the morning when I wake up, and it is not Rachel, it's Leah. You know what they said about Leah? They said that she had weak eyes. That was a phrase that meant she wasn't much to look at. My brother's scream was nothing like my primal scream. Waking up next to the wrong woman and finding out that the trickster himself had gotten tricked. And Laban's like, oh, I'm so sorry, did you marry the wrong woman? I hate it when that happens. You can still marry Rachel, but you have to work seven more years. Seven more years before I could marry my love. Now, I understand that you guys don't understand polygamy, but I still had an obligation to Leah, no matter what. And I got to tell you, Leah put the fertile in the fertile crescent. 
because boy after boy after boy after boy was born to us. There was Simeon, there was Reuben, there was Levi. And you know what's interesting? And I'm not proud to say this, Leah was so devoted to me and I never gave her the time of day. And she thought that with every son that got birthed, finally I'd turn my love towards her. Never did. But you know what's interesting is she found a greater love. Her fourth son, I can't even remember how many girls were born, but her fourth son, she named Judah, and she prayed, this time I will praise the Lord. Seven years was up, finally got to marry Rachel. Unlike with Leah, it took a while to get pregnant with Rachel. Not as long as my mom, Rebecca, and Isaac, or granddad, Abraham, and grandmom, Sarah. But it took a long time. And now I've been in Laban's country, Haran, for, for more than a couple of decades. And I am really successful. And Rachel bears me a son. His name's Joseph. You're going to hear about him later in a future sermon. And I know it's time to go home. It's in part time to go home because Laban's sons are starting to get jealous of how successful I am. And I start to make my way the hundreds and hundreds of miles back towards my homeland. And I have no idea how my family's going to receive me. Esau hears that I'm coming, and I hear that he's coming out to meet me. And Esau is bringing with him 400 men. This doesn't sound good to me. And so when we start to draw close, and we're at a ford of the river called the Jabbok, I divide my family on multiple sides of the river in two different directions. That way, at least, if we get attacked by one, maybe the other part of the family can survive. And after we do that, it gets dark, and I'm alone again. I'm waiting there. And I pray for God to save me. Whatever you ask to save you, that is what your God is. And while I'm praying and while I'm alone, while I'm afraid, this mysterious figure shows up and we start to fight. I mean, we are wrestling. And at first I think it's Esau, but then I realize it's not Esau. Can't quite mysteriously figure out in the darkness who he is. And at one point while we're wrestling, I figure out he's toying with me because I can't win. And all he does is, is just touch, doesn't even hit it, just touches my hip. Boom, thrown out of socket. But I know how to play through the pain. And I hold on to him and I tell him, I am not going to let you go until you bless me. And he asks, what is your name? 
And I say, my name is Yaakov. I am the heel grabber. I am the striver. I am the trickster. I am the achiever. I will do whatever it takes. And this mysterious figure says, you are no longer Yaakov. You are Israel. For you have striven with God and with man. And then I said, what is your name? And he said, why do you ask my name? And then we stopped wrestling and he placed his hand on my head. And he blessed me. All of a sudden I figured out who that was. In the darkness, that was God himself. That I had wrestled with God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun started to rise and Esau's men came forward. And I walked towards Esau expecting that this this is going to be the end of my life. And yet instead of coming at me with a weapon, he comes at me with an embrace. And I tell Esau that to see his face is like seeing the face of God. I give him all kinds of presents. He says, you don't need to give me anything. And I said, I know, I don't need to. It's just because. You might be wondering what I learned through all my life. I learned that we are all looking for a blessing. We're all looking to be made right, to know that we're special, that we're okay. I've learned that you can't hide from God, you can't run from God, you can't trick God, you cannot manipulate God. That the blessing only comes as a gift. And I've learned I've learned that it doesn't do any good to have a blessing without the one who blesses. It was only when I stopped asking for the blessing and asked for the name, the identity of the one who could bless, it was only then that I truly was blessed. And I've learned that the blessing isn't just for yourself. The blessing is for the sake of others too. No one really calls me Yaakov anymore. 
Most people know me by my other name, Israel. Israel means may God rule. My whole life, I have tried to rule it, to run it, and to make it. And all that I can tell you is, if you want to rule your life, you will lose it. But if you're willing to lose your life, God can rule it. The blessing can be yours. It has passed down through centuries and it comes to you. But you have to let God rule. And so let us pray. God, so many of us, like Jacob, are striving, grabbing, reaching when you call us to receive. Lord, help us in the midst of Jacob's story to discover the power of your blessing and that it's not something that can be stolen. It's not something that culture and custom can give. And so I pray, God, that you will meet each person here in a moment when they are alone to remind them that you are with them, that heaven and earth are near, that our prayers don't have to be conditional, and that like Jacob, we can ask you to save us. Forgive us, God, for wanting the blessing without the one who blesses. And God, even in the midst of our wounds like Jacob's limp, will you help us to experience the magnificent defeat and the crippling victory that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That because of what you have done for us, we can see your face. And so God, give us once again your blessing. Renew your promise to us. Rule in our lives. And may that blessing not just be for ourselves. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people's sake.